Hi, this is Jamie Flinchball, uh, host of the People Solve Problems podcast, uh, author of People Solve Problems, and I'm here to, to talk with Justin Max about problem solving. So, Justin, how you doing? Good, Jamie. How are you, man? I'm great. Um, so, uh, so, Justin is the founder of Spark DSG, a digital design development agency uh, based in Pennsylvania. Uh, Justin and his team at Spark apply their ideas process to solve complex business problems with measurable outcomes, which is, you know, really, really cool way to describe your value proposition. Um, so we, we know each other quite well from, from soccer. Justin was my assistant coach for, for many years. And, you know, two of us would, would stand by the, 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 the touchline, um, you know, with our hands on our hips, wondering what went wrong. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, what problem to solve. Um, and, and he also gave me one of my favorite quotes about my book. Um, which when after he read it, he said, oh, I was expecting a bunch of wonky lean stuff, but it actually applied to me, which uh, which, which I actually loved because I, I, I definitely didn't want to write a wonky book, but uh, something that people can find does apply to uh, to what they what they do. So appreciate the quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. So so let's yeah. talk about I mean, you know, just part of your value proposition is essentially problem solving. Right. And, and so this ideas process, solving complex business problems. So, so, so just tell me about the ideas process and, and how you, you know, what you're doing with that to, to help your clients. Sure, sure. So on that, I, I would actually back up just a step. So I'm a founder of a business, um, but a founder who was a practitioner first. So I was a designer initially um, and built my business out of quality work. Uh, delivering for clients, and we build it organically. So it it grew and evolved over the years. And um, in that course of time, if I had to do it again, uh, I would have gotten out of the weeds quite a bit earlier. So for me, the ideas process came out of a realization that um, I was taking on too much of too many tasks in our organization. And um, and I owe you a little bit of credit here, Jamie, because we had you speak to my leadership team uh, when we were doing an offsite, and you were going over some of the primary principles in your book. And one of the things we were talking about was gaps, right? Strategic gaps, process gaps, people gaps. And I realized um, around that time, I wasn't going to be able to scale the business much further without addressing some of the things that um, were missteps from just growing organically, right? So. Um, we actually had a little bit of strategy gap. Um, we had a great team, but the main thing was a process gap, right? So um, we had a way of doing things, but it wasn't documented. Um, it was a little bit overly custom for each and every you know project brief that came in. So as a team, we sat down and we we first audited everything that we were doing um, just to kind of understand all the steps that we had in place. And we realized that we did have kind of a repeatable pattern, um, but it wasn't anything that was like documented in any sort of formal way. Right. Uh, a lot of it sat in my head um, <laughs> or, or the, the directors on my team in their heads. And so, um, so it wasn't really something that, you know, any, any team member could kind of pick up. So the ideas process, it's just a, a nice clean acronym for marketing purposes, but it's initiate, discover, execute, assess, and support. So in our work as a design and technology firm, um, you know, we're we're mostly solving more complex um, experience, digital experience 
problems. Um, so for us, you know, um, the initiate portion is really the onboarding and kind of setting things up for success, making sure we have a clear understanding of roles and responsibilities, racy, that sort of thing. Um, the problem solving for us, you might think it's in the execute portion, but for our agency, a lot of it is in discover, right? Like trying to get a foundational understanding of our clients, um, the specific problems that they might have, the technology landscape, composition of their teams and how we'll interface with their internal um, you know, team. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing that in discover. Execute is really, you know, it's tactical. It's agile methodology rolling through a set of uh, design and development tasks to to build the digital product. And then assessment. Assessment is the tricky one in our process because honestly, it happens along the whole process. Right. Um, You know, it happens um, even in discovery when we're just validating like early stage prototyping. Um, But you know, it happens throughout the entire execute process. And then at the end, it's just kind of a formal assessment process we go through, whether it's you know, it's a quality assurance, um, formal quality assurance, our clients do a UAT process. Um, and we're just making sure that the, the product that we're going to put out in the market meets all the, the goals that we had set up initially. Um, yeah. And then support is, you know, for our clients where we're doing some large scale build, we're oftentimes then on some sort of maintenance agreement or supporting the work strategically over time. So um, the the very cool thing about the process though, is it's end to end. So it's comprehensive, like, you know, at least against our service offering, but the way that we engineered it and designed it, it can be broken up. So we have some project engagements that are just discover or just execute, right? Um, And then within that, we have a whole workflow of our specific tasks and each of those can be broken off. So sometimes, for instance, we might be doing um, like a usability study um, mm-hmm. on an existing product, and that's just a node within our overall workflow. And we can break that off and, you know, we can put a statement of work around just one specific node. So it's been pretty scalable um, and it's been great for the team because, uh, you know, we have taken that into like a level of documentation that has racy and goals and templates for each and every step. So it's been it's it's been a bit of a game changer um, for the team in, in terms of clarity and how we do things. Yeah, love that. It's and and you know, I like to say that problem solving isn't a capability; it's a collection of a bunch of capabilities. And 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 as you kind of describe that, since since in a lot of ways, problem solving is your value proposition for your customers. You know, you don't have just one set capability. You kind of have, you know, here's the pieces that maybe your client has the capability around. Here's the the pieces that you're going to add into their problem solving process, and and so it allows you to be flexible, but but sort of maintain that core that core structure of the the things that you do. Because um, that's you know you're you you, all, you you have the capabilities to solve it, but it's also figuring out the problem, right? That whole discovery sure. process and, and framing it in the right way, which if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how well you execute, right? You're solving yeah. the wrong problem. So yeah, for sure. And 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 I love that it all all began from a problem statement around scalability, right? Just sort of understanding what what's going to allow you to to scale uh and and 
this this happens to a lot of business owners. I know I'm guilty of it uh, in the past and present. Is <laughs> is you know w- when we when we also do the work, right? When we when we sort of grow the business by doing the work, it's it's hard to let go of some of those things. And and so the role of a founder in solving our own problems can be, uh, you know, quite challenging because there there's a there's there's a right way in our head. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't always always approach. So let me let me ask you about your role as you go forward, especially with the the the, the ideas program and structure and, and, and how you scale. How, how do you think about your role in problem solving your team's role? Uh, you know, how do you decide what to care about <laughs> so yeah. much that you want to be involved and own the problem versus just, you know what? I trust you guys. We have a framework. You guys go go do that. Yeah, it's a re- that challenge. No, that's a really good question. So um, I think some of it, and I'm probably speaking again from this perspective of like practitioner turned business owner, it takes a while to release <laughs> um, wanting to have your hands on the, the, the solution. Mm-hmm. So over the years, and I'm actually uh, the first, June 1st is our 12 year anniversary. So um, it's been a minute. Um <laughs> So I have learned that I enjoy, it goes back to coaching kind of, Jamie, like I enjoy getting the pieces in the right place and having a culture, like designing a culture as much as I um, have enjoy sort of just the actual design solution. So some of it was like a mental shift for myself about thinking about, well, what it, what is my value here? Right. Because it used to be um, conceptually or strategically thinking about the design solution and executing that. And now, you know, I'm still involved in strategy on our, like our, our core accounts um, occasionally. But really, my job now is to create like the environment for the rest of the team to be able to do their best work. So um, when I first started it, I thought that would be like I want a bunch of folks who are like me. Uh, jack of all trades, um, you know, sort of able to think about things from multiple angles. And honestly, you know, if you're a founder, you've probably done almost every job in your organization at some point in time. Mm-hmm. I've learned that it's better as your organization grows. Let's have some clarity around your role, value that specialization. Um, and for me, um, I don't know if this works for everyone, but I think empowering folks to fail is super important. Like we have um, we have a value system we put in place and I will tell the team constantly, if you if you're doing something earnestly and you're following our values, um, you know, failure is all right as long as you're in that value framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, if it's repeated and we're not correcting it, you know, we have to talk about that. But sure. Um, so that's been that's also been like along with the process, the ideas process, um, creating a culture where folks aren't afraid to try things, um, and, and nine times out of ten, though it works positively. It's usually not a negative thing. So um, that's been that's been a shift. So my role these days is, you know, it's company strategy. Um, unfortunately, it's still sales. I, I would I'm trying to uh, I'm actually trying to create a repeatable process on sales right now so that I can offload that. That's my my goal for this year. Um, 
So vision, culture, strategy is really the space that I want to be playing in as a leader. And then um, it's still sales. It's still sales and marketing. And that's something I'm trying to figure out how to offload. Yeah. Be, yeah. Well, I, I think it's an important recognition that your role can change and evolve based on the needs of the organization. Yep. Um, so some of that's necessary, right? So if, if, if you hadn't changed your role, probably couldn't scale the business. Um, and, and then, you know, a couple of ways to think about it is, do I change my role to what I'm good at? Do I change my role to what I want to do? Right. Mm-hmm. Where as founders, we, we may get a little more degrees of freedom to change it to what we want to do. Mm-hmm. But I would also argue if that feeds your energy, then that's a positive thing for the organization as well. So, well, what's interesting, actually, real quick on that front, um, I've learned for myself to do things like sales. I'm like, let me step back. I'm naturally an introvert. I've learned to be extroverted. Um, but I've learned to be extroverted in ways that work for me. Mm-hmm. So, so, for instance, on the sales side, I like to get into consultation quickly because it takes me back to being a designer and solving a problem. Right. Right. So my sales is even problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to do that than to do some big spiel about why we're the best. I just want to demonstrate it. Yep. And that so, puts your the DNA of the company out at the forefront, which, you know, yeah. works, right? So, yeah. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, you know, you've, you've had some things that worked, some things that didn't. Um, and, and I love, I love war stories. I think we all get to learn a lot from those. Um, do you have an example of, of, of poorly done problem solving? You can, Sort of share the lesson, the lessons from like what's what's gone wrong and and how'd you learn and adjust from it? Well, I can on the client side, what's interesting is I see um uh, a trend, a theme. Um we see a bunch of themes actually. Uh, there's one on the startup side, there's one on the corporate side, but on the on the startup side, we work with a lot of um companies that they're are they true startups? They're still in a growth mode, um, but they're, you know, into their series A plus sure. rounds of funding. They operate like a, yeah, uh, definitely operating like a startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what happens there a lot of times is we're working with tech tech founders who usually come from an engineering background. So like me, but the other side of the fence. Right. Um, and they oftentimes have figured out an engineering solve for some problem that's in a space that they worked in. So they develop a prototype. Um, they go get their funding, another round of funding, start to build a team, launch a product, get some traction, right? Get a user base. And this happens over like, you know, year, two years, three years. Next thing they know, after servicing this client base for like, a couple of years and handling basically support tickets, asking for additional features, functionality. Um, what was once like a focused product that went to market to solve a specific thing has become this spaghetti ball of features, functionality, um, unclear focus on what the product actually does and serves. And that manifests in a terrible user experience, terrible UI. Right. Um, so we see that like all the time and we're brought in, um, 
in the best instances to kind of take a step back and reevaluate from a user standpoint, like what is their actual need? What is the value proposition of the business and where does that intersect in terms of like the product Mm -hmm. and how do we design for that and solve for that? In the worst cases, it's just lipstick on a pig. Mm -hmm. It's, Hey, we, you know, uh, our product doesn't feel modern anymore. Can you guys, what can you do here? So it's like, we try and consult our clients out of that mode of thinking because there's, there's no, there's no amount of like CSS visual design update that's going to course correct for like years of layered, right? Layered chasing the thing right in front of you. Yeah. Um, so that that's something we see all the time. And then um, you know, on on the corporate side, it's really the story is more about it's about bloat. Um so we've had some clients approach us and um I can't name names, but they might have a design and development team that is like, I don't know, three, four, five X RS our team Mm -hmm. and you know i look at the cvs of the folks that they have on their team i'm like this is a skilled team this is a this is a competent team right um what what why do you actually need us and they need us because there's some something like institutionally in that organization where they just don't have time or they're not empowered to solve the real problems that are in front of them so um, you know, it's always amazing to me that the dollars that are spent on not addressing like core issues as opposed right. to bringing in, like bringing in us to layer on top of the spend to try and do do something that's outside of, you know, the organization just because they, because they're internal, they can't get it done. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen that sort of thing and in, in, in it's in the worst cases, it's, um, you know, uh we need to launch this solution on a hosted environment that's not even in our in, internal just because it will never happen it won't get done or it will get done in a year so like these sorts of things that happen at scale we you know we get brought in to kind of triage that as well so you know it happens at both ends of the spectrum in terms of the client size and and team size but that's interesting it's it's um a lot of companies once they get they have enough work just to keep the trains running that their team's so busy keeping the train running. They're like, Oh, well, we have new interesting work to do. We'll go ask somebody else to do that. Yeah. And, and I, I sometimes just, well, why don't you do the opposite? Why don't you go hire some hire a, a, an outsourced resource to help you keep the trains running and, and your team gets to go do the new and interesting challenging stuff. But well, you know, it's what's tricky there, Jamie is um, like when we come into that environment, how do you how do you keep allies and advocates for you as the vendor when when I don't want to say jealousy, but there's yeah. a level of like, well, we're competent. Why are you bringing in these guys? Yeah, right? you're doing the cool work that they always wanted to do. Right? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like because of the way it had been, they're used to working at a pace that is very slow. Mm-hmm. Some of our value to our corporate clients is the the pace at which we work because. We're smaller, we're more nimble. Um, and we this is what we do. Like we get in, we identify the problems and we we produce solutions for them and we get out. 
Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. Well, we're we're about out of time, but I do want to ask you one more quick question because I I you know I, I noticed your team recently went on a little little summit and trip, and I know how important team culture is, and and so I'd I'd, I'd love to just get your your quick thoughts on you know, what you do to build a collaborative team environment, uh, especially as the, as the organization's leader. Yeah, cool. So um, things have changed a little bit over the years. We were, we had an office, everyone was in the office, traditional kind of setup. We were hybrid prior to the pandemic, three days in the office, two from home. And then we went fully remote with the pandemic. So, um, which has been great because I have talent from all over the country now and folks I wouldn't have been able to connect with, but it is real that um, there really is not a replacement for like real, real FaceTime with people in real Mm -hmm. life. Um, So we have run two spark summits, which is just an annual offsite multi-day get together. And it's a split. Honestly, it's a split of like, um work focused workshops and then just team bonding yep um really just trying to like create collisions for people who don't get to be together right and um it's it's so like it's so valuable so yeah. we we invest like the amount we would have put into our office space we invest that back into just doing these this big bash um Year one was all about the ideas process, actually, um, rolling that out, getting everyone on board, making sure we understood it. And um, we just figured out some ways to do that in kind of an engaging fashion. Um, this year was we did a bit of like almost like you would do a hackathon or designathon. We did a multi-day team-based competition around product strategy and product development. Um which was really cool because it had a little bit of competitive juice to it. And mm-hmm. um, and we also mix in some just like um, sort of design thinking exercises as well. So it's it's not a static, you know, we're not sitting in the conference room, um, you know, me presenting to the team. I'm more, again, I'm creating an environment for folks to have interactions, get to know each other, and then also put some of our process into practice in a fun way. So it's it's super cool because um, you know folks who might not have met each other in person they're meeting each other you know person they're creating memories and I I feel like there's um, even though the, those sorts of informal interactions you know on the surface it's like just kind of hanging out but I see it pay off when we're back in a remote setting and folks mm-hmm. are in Slack they're more apt to reach out to one another to ask a question to bounce you know they might be designing something a little more likely to bounce it off their colleague and say hey what do you think of this and that colleague it feels more open and free to be like that's that's total shit you should not do that have you thought about this and that mm-hmm. i don't think would happen as naturally if um if we didn't invest that time right. in uh in sort of the remote something that's that's, that's yeah. awesome i I like to say, you know, connection and culture are two of the major things you need to spend in-person time on, and 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 doesn't have to be a lot, but it's hard to hard to get connection and culture a hundred percent remote uh, if you don't have some of that in touch time. So, so you leverage it as hard as you can when you have the opportunities, and so it sounds like a great approach to 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 do that. So, thanks. Yeah. 
we have we have uh, a couple other rituals we have in place that are virtual based. Like we use a tool called Fifteen Five um, for mm-hmm. one on ones and high fives and all that kind of stuff. We use Slack, um, but at the end of the day, just it isn't it's helpful to bridge that gap between right. in person time. But there's no substitute. Yep, fantastic. Well. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, your stories, your experiences. Uh, wish you and the Sparks team all the best. And thanks for coming on the on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for listening to the People Solve Problems podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Visit jflinch.com for more episodes and other content. And continue to join us on your podcast app, of course. We greatly appreciate your feedback through reviews and ratings. Consider expanding your understanding of problem solving with Jamie's book, People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, Every Problem. Available on Amazon. Until next time, keep learning, innovating, and solving problems.